Well, very good morning to you. It's great to be with you today, although uh, I'm uh, 12 miles away. Uh, hopefully some of you from Park End will be listening to this morning's service and uh, look forward to opening God's Word together today. Now I know that Owen is really keen for the uh, young people and children of our church in particular to uh, do some craft and to maybe make a drawing this morning uh, that it centres around uh, what we're going to be thinking about. So here's the task. I'd like you to draw for me a picture of maybe a Christian superhero. What, uh, what does that person look like? What would be the extraordinary gifts that they have? And in this morning's uh, Bible reading, we read of a prayer that Paul gives to his uh, church, the desire of his heart for the church in Ephesus there, and that was that they would have a gift, that they would have a, an unusual ability. And that unusual ability was actually to be able to uh, discern or understand just how amazing Jesus was and the things that uh, God had done for them through him. So it's an unusual gift, uh, not maybe uh, about being able to fly or, or to have superhuman strength. But Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is that they would have enlightenment, the gift of enlightenment. So... Guys, would you like to uh, to do a drawing? What would a, a Christian superhero look like? Uh, and what kind of powers or gifts uh, do you think they should have? So uh, as, as you start drawing, adults think about this as well. Uh, what would be the kind of gift that you would want to have? Now, I remember, as I said, when I was a child, I, I wanted to, to fly just like Peter Pan. And I remember sort of thinking about how amazing that would be to be able to to fly over the mountains and, uh, and and see all of the stuff that's going on below. And then when you get a bit older, uh, if you're into comics and you start to look at uh, X-Men or the Hulk, uh, the uh, the Marvel Universe and the Hulk and all of these kinds of people, you see how, uh, how comic book writers uh, focused on the idea of people having uh, unusual abilities. And it's not just in the comic world, I'm sure all of us as adults would have thought uh, on occasions how great it would be to have a gift, not necessarily to help ourselves, but to help others. Let's be honest, how many of us have thought how great it would be to be able to, to give someone good health, the, the gift of healing. And when you come to the Bible, you see these uh, supernatural gifts that are given to individuals, uh, the ability to... Uh, to have a, a discerning spirit, the ability to uh, be able to bring healing to people, the ability to perhaps uh, speak in tongues or to uh, have the gift of interpretation. We see all of these things in the New Testament. And perhaps you're one of those people that have longed to have a, a particular gift that's been given by God. But I wonder how many of us have ever uh, thought about the idea of having the gift of enlightenment oh, something which is a, a little bit more uh, uh, off kilter if you like and yet this is precisely what the apostle paul is praying for for this church in ephesus not that they'd be able to speak in tongues not that they'd be able to uh, raise people from the dead not that they'd be able to alleviate uh, uh, world poverty but rather that they as individual christians would have the ability to discern to understand the activity of God through Jesus Christ and how that can change absolutely everything 
in our lives. That's the gift that Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to have. That's what he was praying for unceasingly. To put it in a very basic way, he was praying that they would get it. That they would understand in a deep and meaningful way of who Jesus was, of what he did, and of what God's intentions was for them through Jesus. He's really passionate in these verses, and we'll think about them in a moment. But I just want to start by asking that question. Is that a gift that you'd want? And, and do you get it? Has the truth of the Bible impacted you in such a profound and deep way that it's changed the way that you think? It's changed the direction of travel of your life? It's changed the way in which you understand the world? And very importantly, bottom line, it's actually made you into a, a different person, a better person. A person, according to these verses, who's filled with real, real hope. Now, when we come to the Apostle Paul, we see that played out so, uh, so real. It's so real in his life. I was thinking about the passages in, the, in his letter to the church at Philippi, and I just picked a few things out. Now Paul was this this uh, this uh, this Jew of Jews, if you like, and uh, do you remember how he says in uh, Philippians chapter three and verse eight, all of that other stuff he says because I get it, I now count as rubbish. That's a really strong statement for somebody who has lived their life in in one way, and yet as soon as they're impacted by the truth of Jesus, as soon as they get it, all of a sudden everything changes it's almost as rubbish to him and then further on in chapter 3 he says about his failures do you remember the verse where he says forgetting what is behind I press forward towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward so when you get it, according to Paul, it's, it's not just about your background. All of that is put into a different perspective. It's also about your failures. It's about the stuff that you've done wrong. It's about all of the guilt and the shame that you feel as a human being. And suddenly Paul says, when I got it, I forgot what was behind me. I forgot what I did wrong. I forgot about the, the, the persecution and, 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 and all of the stuff that I sanctioned, all of the guilt that I feel, it's gone. Forgetting what's behind me, I press on towards the goal, heavenward, toward all I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he got it. And then you go on further again in chapter 4. He says that the sum total of this way of thinking, because I get it, is that I've learned to become content in all things. Whether it was about not having food. And back in, chap in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, do you remember that great passage of how he uh, highlights that he's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's been shipwrecked, he's been imprisoned more than anybody else. And yet he can say here in Ephesians, in sorry, Philippians chapter 4, do you know what? I've learned to be content in all things. How? How does Paul get to that point? 
How does he think in that way? How does he cope with all of the stuff that's going on in his life? And the answer is, is because he understood his position, his place, all of those kinds of things in the Lord Jesus Christ. He got it. So think about that for a moment. Do you get it? I've been a Christian for 40 years and uh, when I think about that time I think about the early days of becoming a Christian and, and, and those, those early footsteps and, and, and I got how much Jesus loved me and I can tell you it, it, it really did change my life uh, as a, a young apprentice uh, going into work and, and telling uh, my uh, my peers that I had come to know Jesus, they all looked at me as if I'd gone mad. And yet, even amongst them, my behaviour changed. My attitudes towards work changed. Uh, my language changed. The things that I was interested changed. And why was all of that happening? Well, because, because I got it. Now, here's the thing. For many of us today, we, we, we might have been Christians for a very long time. And we can look back on those early years and say, yeah, I, I got it. And, and things started to change. But what about those intervening years? What about today? Perhaps you've been a Christian for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. I don't know. But there is still a sense of, of getting it. That's still really important. Because the decisions that we make today, the way that we view the world those things can be affected as time goes on. And so for Paul, he wasn't a young man. He was an old man in, in terms of the culture. Yet the driving force in his life for, on that day was not something that had just happened all those years ago on the Damascus Road. It was about an ongoing getting it. And I'd like to encourage you today to think about that. Are you still excited by your faith? Are you still overwhelmed by the truths that we read of in the word of God? And so this is what Paul was praying for. He was praying for people on their Christian journey that they would be able to get it again and again and again. Now, if you're a reader, I remember reading the, the, uh, the biographies of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he talks about uh, having a great pulpit ministry. He talked about uh, being able to command crowds, actually. And yet, uh, on one occasion, when he was going through a really tough time and he was on, on retreat, uh, he talked so fondly about a moment when, in prayer, he suddenly realised that for all of his preaching, for all of his reading, for all of the success in inverted commas that he'd experienced as a, a man of God in the Christian world, he realised afresh that he had only just scratched the surface of what it was to follow Jesus and what was in his word. So that was Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And maybe that should be your prayer for yourself, and very importantly, your prayer for other people. That they would afresh get it and grow in their wisdom and their knowledge. Now, what does Paul say? 
Well, when we read in verse 17, he says, let me read these verses to you. He says, I keep asking that God, I'm sorry, I'll keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. And think about that for a moment. This is not about intellect. This is not about academic ability. This is about a gift that God gives to you. That he gives you the spirit, his Holy Spirit. That was Paul's prayer, that he would give the Holy Spirit in a fresh way, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. In other words, what he wants there is that they would have this, uh, this supernatural ability to, to be wise to the things of God. Now, you remember the great story of Solomon as, uh, as God comes to him and God says, what, what, what do you want, Solomon, as you're going to reign, as you're going to be my man? What is it that you want? And Solomon doesn't ask for riches. He asks for wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon. And in a sense, this is exactly what, what, what uh, Paul is praying for for the Ephesians, that we would have the, the wisdom of Solomon, the ability to see things through the eyes of God. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? To be able to see the world and to see the things of God in the way that God sees them. To be able to see things through the eyes of Jesus. And by, able, by being able to do that, then, then suddenly everything becomes different. And, and that's what Paul's prayer is. Godly wisdom. Godly wisdom and godly revelation. And, and revelation, if you think about that word, it, it literally means to reveal. The book of Revelation is a revealing of the end times. And in the original language, the idea there is about drawing back a curtain to, to, to reveal everything that's going on behind the scenes. This is what Paul is praying again here for these Ephesians. That God would, would draw back the curtain and that he would show them the things that, that, that are going on behind the scenes that they never knew existed. That they would be able to understand the deeper things. And that as, as this wisdom and revelation becomes more real to them, then, as I've already said, life starts to change dramatically. Now, what's the purpose of all of this? What's the purpose of this wisdom, this revelation? It is to reorientate life. It is to see life in a different way and to become God's hands and feet in our world and, and to know about our relationship with him. And the way that Paul paints that is in the next few verses. And perhaps we could just take a few quick minutes to, to think about that, of getting it in this way. And what I'd like to do, please forgive me for this, is I'd like to actually start at the end because the end of what Paul wants these people to understand is, if you like, the beginning. And I hope that that will make sense to you in a moment. Now, in verse 18, beginning of verse 18, he says what he wants for these people to be is a hopeful people, 
at the end of verse 18, he says, how might they be hopeful? Well, because they're going to be assured of the fact that they have an incredible, glorious inheritance. And how do they know that they've got an incredible and glorious inheritance? Well, that's in verse 19. He says, because they can be sure of those things, because the very same God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who is behind us. So we have the power of God and building on the power of God, God gives us an inheritance that we can be sure of. And because we can be sure of the inheritance, we can now be joyful. And so what I want to do is, is start with a power this morning, the power of God. Now, Paul says in the end of, of verse 19, he, he basically sort of goes off on one. And it's just a great passage. And let me just read to you from verse 19. He says there about the incomparable great power for us who believe. That power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength. And listen to the words he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can you see how excited Paul is? He's really excited about this incredible power that God has. And it's that power which is the beginning of the joy. I know we're going quite fast this morning, but just step back for a moment. The power of God, which Paul says in verse 19, the incomparably great power, which is for who? For us who believe. That same power is for us who believe. Now I'm recording on Thursday morning and last night I was standing at the, the front of my house and we live right high up on the hill in, in, uh, in one of the valleys and I was looking up into the night sky. It was a big thunder and lightning storm and as I was looking across into the clouds you could see these uh, these snaky uh, uh, flashes of lightning, uh, like, like sort of uh, gnarled fingers of, of, of incredible power of, of, of electricity flickering through the night sky. And you could feel the, the weight of the atmosphere around you. And the clouds were so brooding and dark and, and, and you really knew that a storm was coming. And as I was looking up at the night sky and thinking about uh, having to preach, uh, to prepare this morning, just have that moment of, of getting it, of looking up and, and, and seeing this extraordinary power that is, is far greater than anything that uh, the United States of America or, or Soviet Russia or, or Great Britain could ever uh, create uh, in, in human terms. And there it was flickering in the sky. And, and, then, and then you kind of step back a little bit and think to yourself, well, actually, that's just happening over these few valleys. What about the, the incredible power around the world? And then you think, but 
that incredible power that that is is so beyond uh, humankind that 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 sort of goes around the world is it's just one world in just our solar system that fits into a galaxy that fits into a universe that fits into the palm of God's hand. Think about the power. Think about the extraordinary power of God. And in the context of this passage, it's that kind of awesome, magnificent power that God used, according to these verses, that he exerted his mighty strength in order to raise Jesus from the dead. That power is focused upon you. It was a power that, according again to these verses, that God is able to use to order, in order to sit God, uh, to sit Jesus at His right hand. In other words, it's it's not just about Jesus taking His place; it's the authority of God to give Jesus that place. God didn't need to ask anybody. God didn't need to consult with His elders or His deacons as to whether or not He could install Jesus at His right hand. Why? Because he has the power to do it. And it is a timeless power, again, according to these verses. A power that, when it is invoked, is for the past, it's for the present, it's for the future. Nobody's going to come along and usurp this power. Nobody has the ability to take it away from God. It is his, and it is an eternal power. And again, all focused in these verses upon us who believe. Now when you start to get it, all of a sudden you think, wow, me? Me? God is interested in me? in that way that he avails himself of these powers in order to focus upon me? Hmm. No wonder Paul saw things in a different way. And then quickly moving on, he says, well, the, the, the foundation of the hope is, is about the inheritance that comes from that power. Step back into verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope that we think of in a moment that he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Think of the words, the riches. It's not poverty struck here. Plenty, riches of the glorious inheritance uh, in his people his holy people. Now we don't have time but if you looked at the beginning of chapter 1 uh, uh, in Ephesians you'll see there how Paul talks at length about uh, being adopted into the family of God. He says uh, at the end of verse 4 and 5 that we are adopted to sonship through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so inheritance is is very much attached to the idea that we are um, receiving something that is not 
uh, rightfully ours, but has been given to us because God has changed our legal position, if you like. We, we, we're no longer orphans, as the scripture says. We've been adopted into the family of God. Now, we can underestimate and we can overestimate this. But again, think about the context of what Paul wants us to understand. He wants you and me to get today. What he wants us to get is that, that we are now children of the living God. We're not aliens. We're not people outside of the family. But in becoming children of the living God, we have a, a, a part of the inheritance of Jesus. Whatever Jesus gets, we get. And think about the wonderful passage of uh, the story of the prodigal. And uh, you remember how he comes home and the, uh, the older son is, is, is a bit sort of out of sorts because of the, uh, the way in which the prodigal is treated by the father. And he doesn't like that. Well, <laughs> think about Jesus for a moment. Because according to these verses, what Jesus is doing is, is, is in a sense welcoming us into his inheritance. Now, there's no miserliness in our Lord. Rather, what our Lord is doing is saying, I, I want to give you everything that I have. And Jesus is saying as the father, I want to welcome you into the family just as the, the prodigal father welcomed the prodigal. I want to give you that new robe. I want to put that ring on your finger. I want to kill the fattened calf because that's how much I love you. That's how much you are a part of my family. And in becoming uh, legally adopted... Because of the power that we've just spoken about. A power that I don't need to ask anybody. I don't need to ask permission. You are mine and you belong to me. And you know what? I think that's all the more special when we're orphans. Because as we well know, we didn't really want God. Didn't really pay much attention to him. And let's be honest, very often as we go through our lives, even as Christians, we're not particularly good at, uh, at respecting him, his call upon our lives. But you know what, according to Paul, when we get the fact that in a sense none of that matters because this is all about God giving to us, then suddenly so much of that other stuff starts to drop away. And we start to really connect with just how amazing our God is and all that he has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder about people who perhaps have felt marginalised and rejected, who feel poor and perhaps feel as though they've, they've just not really done what they should have done. And yet these verses say to us that when we start to understand this God, and of what he thinks of us, and of how, how much he has given to us and promised us, then all of a sudden our dignity changes, our attitude changes, our demeanour changes, and the result, well, it's the beginning of what we talked about. We become people of hope, people who are hopeful. Again, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you. You see it? It's not about a hope that you have to, uh, to achieve or to receive. Because as we all know, it's easy to say, as we all know, that the most richest of people, the most beautiful of people, young people, educated of people, all of those kinds of things don't necessarily make us a hopeful people. And as we have already considered briefly in the example of Paul, we can be poor, we can be marginalised, we can seem to be worthless in the eyes of the world, and yet those very people can be a hopeful people. What is the difference? The difference is that we know that the power of God is behind us, that we are called into the family of God, and that his intention towards us is so amazing and so wonderful that hope spills into our hearts. So, how would you describe yourself today? Would you describe yourself as a hopeful person? Because for many of us, we say, well, well, yeah, I am hopeful, but I don't really show it because my personality uh, is not that kind of person. That's not really what I'm talking about here. Talking about something that is so deep inside of us that it does shape the outside. That we are so in love with the Lord, that we're so joyful because of, of the security that we have in him, to know that his uh, resources are, are focused upon us, that suddenly we are people who are filled with the hope of something far more than ourselves because it's all promised in him. And I'd like to suggest to you that when our minds are orientated and shaped in this way, then there is a health to our souls and there is a health to the way in which we live. So do you get it? Now, if you don't, a word of encouragement, because it seems to me that the Bible says very clearly that if you're like Solomon and you're praying and saying, Lord, give me wisdom, then the Lord gives wisdom. Jesus says, doesn't he, in Matthew's Gospel, that if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will be opened. It's not that God wants to hide these truths away from us and the impact of these truths. On the contrary, he wants us to, to inhabit them. He wants us to swim in them. Because when we do that, we're changed. So ask, pray, and maybe also pray for others. Because really, what we don't need is to become superheroes. We really need to understand the, the superpower of God in our lives. And as we end today, I would invite you to pray for one another in that way. Pray that you would get it. Pray that God would open your eyes in such a new and beautiful and deep and meaningful way that your life, perhaps even as a Christian of 50, 60 or 70 years, would have new life breathed into it 
as the Spirit washes over you and shows you the wonder and the joy of what it is to know Jesus and of having him reign in your life. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for people such as the Apostle Paul, who got it. We thank you for their example and for the way in which they lived such God-honouring lives, lives that were full of the joy of Jesus. And our prayer for one another today is that you would open our eyes in the same way, that we may be able to see him and all that he has done. And as the verses say, that you would open our eyes to him. Lord, hear this, our prayer we ask, in the precious name of Jesus and for his glory.